Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I've been sitting on this thought. And it's a thought that came probably about three months ago when I was in Cadinia and I sat down with their pastoral staff and I started unpacking some thoughts that I want to unpack with you today. I had a little bit of an opportunity to share some of those thoughts at our all-in meeting on Tuesday night. But I want to share something that I've simply entitled The Disappointed Idealist. The Disappointed Idealist. And in the subtitle you'll see it's about addressing overcoming cynicism. Overcoming Cynicism, because uh, I, I believe it's something that can just creep up on us. Let's be honest. You know, I want you just for a moment, just to think back to when you were a child. You know, you were bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and you had dreams, much like these year twelve. They, they have dreams of bigger and better things. And I remember when I was a very young kid. You know, you want to be an astronaut. Who wanted to be an astronaut? Anybody ever want to be an astronaut, or or you wanted to be a fireman, or you wanted to be a policeman, or, or you wanted to do something good and Great. And you didn't want to just be a, you know, a, a normal fireman. You wanted, to, you wanted to save the damsel in distress, running into a burning building. And just, just, that's, or was that just me? Is that just, am I just letting you into my world? Um, and, 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 and let's be honest, m- most of us as young kids had big dreams, big dreams of making a difference. And then this little thing called life gets in the way of our dreams. And our reality. So who's known that to be true? Just this thing called life. And, and I know for me, and I'm speaking as one of you today, I love Pastor Paul's illustration. He, he stood up here on Sunday morning of last week and had a stall. And he said, while I'm not actually physically sitting down with you, I want you to know my posture is sitting down with you. And I feel very much like that today, that I'm sitting here with you as one of you who is having to address this particular issue in my life, because I think it's something that we all have to wrestle with from time to time. Because I've been leading, as I've already mentioned, this church for 25 years and and, uh, you know, uh, things can happen over 25 years. We've had our highs and we've had our lows and, and the highs are high and, and the lows are low. And I'm sure you have highs in your life and you have lows in your life. And, and I remember when we first started our church, we were going to change the world and people were going to listen to me. And, uh, you know, all those other churches out there, they're doing a good job. But when we start, things are going to be different in the city of Adelaide. We're not only going to save our city, we're going to bring revival to the whole wide world. All 12 of us. And then I had the harsh reality, you know, uh, no one turned up. <laughs> but don't they know? And that's just it, they, they don't know. And, and then you have your first visitor and, oh, wow, this is amazing. We've got our first visitor. And everyone just loves on them. What we didn't realise, we were just freaking them out. We never saw them again. <laughs> and we're like, they, didn't, they, don't, they don't like us. And, 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 we, we were, and that, that thought of changing the world, I thought, man, I, Lord, if I could just save my household, that'd be awesome. You know, the expectations can be lowered as a result of some of our realities that we face in life. Am I talking to the right people today? 
And I, and I think over the time, the highs and the lows, you know, are just that. The highs are high, the lows are low. And, and, and you know, as a church, we journeyed an incredibly tough season in 2016. I'm not going to go into it because for the majority of us, we, we know what that was like. But, you know, our youth pastor died in the January of 2016 and my wife had a cancer scare and I had a blood infection, almost lost my life. Then heart surgery, all in the same year. Mitchie broke his hand. And then there were many other people who were going through things that we had to pray for and stand with and get meals for. It's just a really tough season in the life of our church. And then you have the people that betray you. You ever been betrayed? You know, if you're breathing today, there's a good chance you've probably been betrayed. Have you ever been misunderstood? If you're breathing today, there's a very good chance that you've been misunderstood. And, and for us leading a church, people come and people go. And, and all those things have emotional, they're emotionally taxing on, on us as leaders. And, and then to top all that off, there's our own personal mistakes that we make. You know, over 25 years, I'd love to tell you I'm a perfect pastor and never made any mistakes. It's just not true. I've had to navigate the, uh, betrayal and, and disappointment and being let down, but, but no one's let me down more than I've let myself down. Anyone ever felt like that? Yeah. And you've got to navigate that. I, I remember standing on this stage some years ago on the 16th anniversary of our church. Our church had turned 16, uh, so it wasn't that long ago. been pastoring for 16 years, and, and I stood up here on this stage, and, and I said this. I said, the title of my message today is God I love. It's just people I can't stand. And I got a giggle just like that. And I thought, cool, this is a good bunch of guys and girls to preach to. So I got my confidence up. I said, hey, church, do you want to know what I was really going to call it? And I said, yeah, I want to know what you're really going to call it. And I said, well, I was going to call it God Loves You. And then I said something I probably shouldn't have. And our church, being our church, laughed, which was a green light to say, hey, you know what I was really going to call it? That was just building up the confidence to say what I really want. And so I said, hey, um, what I was really going to call it was... God I love, but people give me that. And I just kind of shared something I shouldn't have shared. <laughs> and some of you are trying to work out, what would you, I'm not here to repeat it. But the moment it came out of my mouth, I felt this tap on the shoulder from the Holy Spirit saying, uh, Tony, we need to talk. And I just kept preaching. I just preaching, preaching, ignoring that small, still voice. You know, like kids do when mum and dad are trying to talk to them and just keep ignoring them. And, and uh, I was very much in that mood. I was preaching. And, and then when the service finished, I, I, I kind of welcomed everyone. And then after the service finished, I, I made a lot of pastoral phone calls. And people, I was ringing up saying, Tony, what are you ringing me for? I said, ah, I just want you to know I love you. I'm hiding from God. But hey, you know, I just kept myself busy, busy, busy. Then, then Sunday night came around and I preached again. And, and while I was preaching, I was able to ignore that voice of wanting to talk to me about something I said that I shouldn't have said. And I just kind of just got through the whole day until nighttime came. Then I'm lying there in bed and said, can we talk now? And I just felt awful. I just felt like, oh my goodness me. And I remember saying to God that night, because that's all prayer is, it's just talking to God. I said, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I feel like I've got too much blood on my hands. I, I feel like I keep messing up. And I felt God saying in the most loving way, that's true. <laughs> Who wants to hear the voice of God? God, speak to me. Well, he did. That's true. <laughs> but then I had this profound thought. He said, but let's make an exchange. Your blood for my blood. And the team didn't know I was sharing this today. And that song just means so much to me. This divine exchange. 
And I never forget waking up Monday morning. I couldn't wait for the next Sunday to come around so I could stand before the church and apologize for my behavior, my attitude, and my language that had crept in. And we had a communion service, which to me has been my most favorite communion service ever. We broke bread together. And uh, we just had an amazing God encounter because I realized as I was sharing my story, there's a lot of people saying, that's like me, I'm like that. And and we just had this incredible God moment. No one's upset me more than I've upset myself. And, And so we have all this stuff that we have to face with. And to be honest, this stuff can be really taxing on your body, on your soul, and your spirit. And I would really encourage every one of you particularly to get a hold of Paul Scanner's message that he shared last week on the hierarchy of the soul. I think it's kind of a message you probably need to hear every three months or so. So get that on our podcast or go to the online and get it there. That'd be great. But what I've learned is because it's so taxing on our body, soul and spirit, it's easy to get burnt out, disillusioned, bitter and cynical. And let's be honest, no one sets out to be cynical. I mean, when we were bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young kids dreaming of being astronauts, no one said, oh, I, I, I teach it, pick me, pick me. I, I want to be bitter and I want to be cynical when I grow up. I want to be a miserable old man when I grow up. No, no kid ever said that. No, no one sets out to be cynical. In actual fact, most cynics are former optimists and idealists. In actual fact... Nearly everyone starts out life with a positive outlook. And so this message today is really about us keeping a right spirit. Pastor Paul's message last week was about keeping your soul right. But this is about keeping your spirit right so that we can overcome cynicism. In Psalm 51, turn in your Bibles, follow on your iPad or on the screen, uh, that'd be good. It says this, Psalm 51 verse 10, Creating me a clean heart, O God. And here it is, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your free spirit and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This prayer of David's is a prayer asking for God to give him a right spirit, which tells us something. It means that your spirit can be wrong. It means that your spirit can be out of step with God. And in this particular point in David's life, that was very much the case. I mean, this is the same guy that took on Goliath with a sling. It's the same warrior, David and Goliath. You know the story. This is that guy who wrote this particular portion of Scripture. Because what happened after he killed that giant, notoriety of his fame grew and grew and grew and he became king of Israel. And there was one day, the Bible says, when kings should have been at war. He wasn't at war. He was at home. And he saw this woman. Her name was Bathsheba. And he liked what he saw. And he took what he saw for himself. And he slept with this woman. The problem was this woman was married to another man. And the problem was further compounded when he found out that the woman he'd slept with is now pregnant. And so David, true of all of us, tries to cover up his mistakes. And so he gets Uriah, the husband of this woman, to come off the battlefield and come and spend some time with his wife. Now, this man, Uriah, was one of David's mighty warriors, one of the men that he knew well. And he brings him out of the battlefield to spend time with his wife so he can sleep with her, so he can cover up for the pregnancy that had happened. The trouble is Uriah was an honest, righteous man. And he stayed with his wife, but he refused to sleep with her. 
He said, how can I sleep with my wife and find comfort with my wife when my men are on the battlefield? And he refused to sleep with her. And so David sent Uriah back off to the battlefield with this command that Uriah was to be placed on the front of the battlefield where the fighting was most fierce and most people lost their life. And that's exactly what happened to this mighty warrior, Uriah. He died on the battlefield. David, in a very short space of time, became an adulterer and a murderer. This is the man the Bible talks about having a heart after God. See, David struggled with his humanity like you and I struggle with our humanity. There's no magical wand here. David was a righteous man. David had a heart after God and yet he struggled keeping his spirit right. And it was out of this brokenness when the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you are guilty of adultery. You are guilty of murder. And instead of silencing the prophet, he said, it's true. It's true. And he penned these words that we've just read in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And what this passage of Scripture tells us is this, that your spirit is your responsibility. David didn't blame the pressure of his job. He didn't say, well, God, I'm a king and all these pressures. I just need to have an outlet. He says, no, no, no. My spirit is my responsibility. God, help me to create a clean spirit and a right spirit on the inside of me. Your spirit is your responsibility. In other words, cynics aren't born, they're made. See, life doesn't make you cynical. Can I say this lovingly and carefully? knowing I'm sitting with you when I say this. Life doesn't make you cynical. You make you cynical. When I'm cynical, no one else has made me cynical. I made me cynical because my spirit is my responsibility. See, cynicism is not always a conscious decision, but it's a decision nonetheless. And when I was in my teenage years, the age of many of these year 12s who stood up here on stage just a while ago, I remember looking at people in the church and being confused because I was just in love with Jesus. I was a new Christian and I thought, wow, I don't even know anything yet. But when I, when I get to read the Bible more, you know, I'm going to be more excited about the things of God. And yet the people that seemed to be older than me didn't seem to be as excited about the things of God. And it confused me. And I remember drawing a line in the sand and, and, and making a, a, a life mantra for myself, thinking, what would this 18-year-old punk of a kid who doesn't have much life experience say to a 50-year-old me, of which I'm only a couple of months away from? <laughs> That's come very quick. can't believe it. But I remember thinking, what, what could I say to a 25-year-old version of me and a 30-year-old version of me and a 40-year-old version of me and a 45-year, till I get to the age of 50, what, what could I say to help me and hold me and not become cynical, twisted, bitter, like many people I saw in life, particularly in the church. And the church is meant to be the hope of humanity, and I was just confused. And so I came up with these three things. One, I wanted the body of a young man. Two, I wanted the wisdom of an older man. And three, I wanted the spirit of a godly man. And all of those three things have a corresponding action that you have to put into play, because your spirit is your responsibility. And I've worked hard over the last 32 years making sure that my body's right, my mind's right, and my spirit is right. You see, Proverbs says this, 
Proverbs 25, it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In other words, if you don't rule your spirit, you're like a defenceless city, one that can be easily attacked. You know, there's this incredible account in the scriptures where Jesus takes three of his 12 disciples and he says, let's go for a walk. And that walk turns into a mountain climb and there Jesus transfigures before them. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He walks down from that mountain and Jesus is greeted with an argument. This argument broke out amongst the other nine disciples because a man came with his demonized son and prayed, begged and pleaded for the disciples to heal and deliver their son. And unfortunately, the nine disciples were unable to deliver this young kid of demonic oppression. It was so bad that, and he was so demonized, he kept throwing himself into the fire. Just a horrible situation for a father to have to watch on. And he was distraught and he came, said, can you help me? And I feel that that man represents many people in our community, say, can you help me? Victory Church, can you help me? My son keeps throwing himself into the fire. My daughter keeps cutting themselves. She's being bullied and picked on. Can you help? Unfortunately, they couldn't help. That's Mark chapter 9. You can read it for yourself. The interesting thing is, if you read it, Mark chapter 6, you'll see that Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. And when they come back to Jesus, one of the things that they are just really excited about is the fact that they could pray for people and see them delivered from demonic oppression. They saw them healed. They saw them set free. And they said, wow, Jesus, this is amazing. Even demons submit to us in your name. He says, hey, boys, that's great. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. That, that's good that they submit, but remember, the greatest miracle is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, come on. But here's the point. Three chapters later, they've got no power that they once had. Yeah. And you have to stop and ask yourself this question. Where did the power go? Yeah. If you want to know how to read the Bible, young people, I would say this. Ask it questions. I say, where, where did the power go? These are the same guys that prayed for people and now they've got no power. Yeah. Now, what I'm about to say, I've never heard preached and I can't verify it because I wasn't there. But I do know humanity well enough and I do know teenage boys well enough to know what I'm about to say could be true. Are you with me? Because the teenagers, uh, the disciples, sorry, were teenagers. If you look at all the scholars, at best, they'll put them in early 20s, but generally most would say they're about teenagers. Now I've got a teenage son. I know what teenage boys can be like. Can you imagine Jesus having 12 disciples and he picks three? And he did it on many occasions. Just pick three, Peter, James and John, come with me. And they go for a walk. And as they walk off into the distance, just, just imagine the nine sitting there saying, hey, uh, guys, is it just me? Is, is it just me? Or do any of you other feel a little bit ripped off here? Why is it that Jesus asked those three? I mean, doesn't Jesus know what Peter's like? Yeah. Oh yeah, Peter's great around Jesus, but when Jesus ain't around, Peter's a pain. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't there. And I want to be really kind because one day I'm going to see these guys. <laughs> and I don't want to be picked on. Like, You're the guy who preached about us. And <laughs> I, I'm with them. I, I'm not Jesus in the story. I'm, I'm the disciples. I, I'm, I'm, I relate to Peter so well. And, and I just imagine they started, you know, uh, just started having a few things to say. And then Thomas says, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's not right. And who do they think they are? And, and, and Jesus, man, I, I think he's just tired. He's making some really bad decisions lately. 
I don't know if it was perpetuated and made worse by the three that left, particularly Peter. I don't know. Again, I'm going to see Peter one day, but I don't know if Peter's walking off in the distance going, see you losers, bye. I don't know. But I have an 18-year-old son and I want to say that's more than possible. That is more than probable. I mean, it's just... And, and so there's this, this angst and there's this attitude and there's this... I, I just sense that there's something creeping in. Can you, can you feel that? I feel like there's a little bit of jadedness happening and, and it's just a little bit of offence taking place and, and, and maybe they're just tired and hungry and, and they're getting a little bit critical now and, and getting a little bit cynical now. And, and what's the point of this? If every time we have to, we have to wait here while these three boys... And... Yeah. 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 I, I can't verify that, but I know, what's a, I know there's enough in me of that for that to be possible. So, so I'm not here pointing the finger at the disciples. If I was there, I'm thinking what I'd be like. And I, I know many of you well, and I think if we were there, I think that is very possible. And this man comes with his son, and at that moment, what they were once able to do, they were no longer able to do because their spirit got wounded. Something had crept in, and they lost their power. And in the short time that I have this morning, I want to look at the pathway to cynicism, how cynicism creeps in. Because if we know how it creeps in, then we can actually undo it and get out of it. And then next week, we're going to look at some practical things that we can do in order to overcome cynicism. But today, I want to set a, a platform and a pathway of, of how we actually get cynical. Because, you know, like I said, there's very few people that set out in life saying, I want to be cynical, but we end up becoming cynical and... We say, how did I get here? And some of us don't even consider ourselves cynical because we know someone who's cynical. And what we're saying is they're more cynical than we are. But it doesn't mean we're not cynical. It just means they might be more cynical than us. And so I just want to look at this pathway because uh, I think there's something we can do about it. And I want to say that to encourage you today. The first thing is, and I say this to encourage every one of you, the, the reason that we get cynical is because we care. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's because we care. And we not only care, we care a lot. We care about people. We want to make a difference. We do. I know when we come to church, we give our life to Jesus, wow, I want to make a difference. And we go to a connect group and I want to make a difference. We love it so much. I want to be a leader. I want to make a difference. And then, you know, because when I start a connect group, you know, I've been around long enough to know some of the problems that I can do that differently. And it's going to be amazing when I start a connect group. And then someone you invited didn't come. And someone you gave advice didn't listen. And all the things happened. But essentially, it started out because we cared. But we poured ourselves into people, but we got little or no return. And maybe you've been bitten once or twice by people. Maybe not literally, but you've been bitten by people. <laughs> you know, I remember when we were in America four years ago doing a family holiday. It was an amazing time. And to keep the cost down, we ended up staying with some of our mates in ministry and they were incredibly kind to us. They opened up homes to us, people that were holidaying. They said, look, stay in that home. And, and when we was in LA, I'll never forget it, we stayed in this particular home and they had a dog in the backyard, a big husky. And they said, look, don't bother about the dog. You don't need to do anything. The neighbours are going to look after it. Just enjoy the home. Do what you want to do. And uh, we did. We had an amazing time. And on the morning that we were packing all of our bags and I was loading the car to put the bags away, there was a whimpering from the backyard. And the whimpering came from the dog that we'd had no time with because we didn't have to. We were told, ignore the dog. Neighbours will look after him. You know, it's a husky. 
What had happened, he'd been tied to a post and he'd been running around and got himself caught up. And so he was literally right up against the post and he just couldn't get undone. Kath, because she cares, thought, I want to help the dog. And unbeknownst to me, I'm putting the bags in the car and I come inside and I hear screams, I hear tears, there's a little bit of pandemonium taking place, there's blood. And I, 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 I what's, what's going on? And what had happened, Kath, because she cared, went out to help the dog. She was there to help the dog. The dog couldn't interpret what she was trying to do and attacked Kath. And thankfully, got, got a hold of a, you know, a leg. Thankfully, didn't take a chunk out of a leg. But there was lots of blood. Kath was shaken up. And we had to run her off to, we went to the drugstore. I thought drugs would be good now. That's what they call a chemist over there, and we got the tetanus shots and everything else, and, and it was kind of a little bit of chaos there for a while. Uh, things calmed down. But, but I think back to that moment, and, and Kath only got bitten because she cared. Yeah. If she didn't care, she'd never have been bitten. Yeah. If you didn't care, you'd never have been bitten. You'd never have been let down. You wouldn't be disillusioned. You find yourself in this place today because we actually care for people. Yeah. We, we, we care deeply for our family. We care for our husbands and our wives. We, we, we care for one another. And, and, and it's because we care, that's where the problem is. So that's a good thing, yeah? That we actually care. Cynicism begins not because we don't care, but because we do care. We pour ourselves out. And often we get little in return. Secondly, how does criticism start? It's because we care. But secondly, it's because we gain knowledge through our experience. See, knowledge is a double-edged sword. We need knowledge. That's why our year 12s have gone through 13 years of school, to get knowledge, because without knowledge, you've you got to grow in your knowledge and understanding of how things work. Otherwise, you're not going to succeed in life. So we need knowledge. The trouble is, the more knowledge we get, the more pain we experience. It's a double-edged sword. Here's your problem. For those of you who are struggling with cynicism or scepticism, your problem is you know too much. Are you with me today? We've experienced heartbreak. We've experienced betrayals. We've experienced backstabbing. We know that people will let us down. And if we're not careful, the way we view things will change the way we do things. Because of the knowledge we have, it'll frame how we see things. It'll shape, uh, shape how you see people. It'll shape how you see marriage. You know, we've got some young people. I've met them. Maybe you have too. They've not been married, but they've got a lot to say about marriage. They've got a lot of knowledge about marriage. Where did that come from? It came from mum or dad and their experience. And so they're not going to get married. We have a society today that do not, for the most part, want to get married. Why? Where did that knowledge come from? And what has caused them to come to the conclusion that marriage doesn't work? Because they've got some... Examples, some life experiences. When you've watched your mum and dad fight your whole, your whole life, you don't want that for yourself. And so it's this knowledge that we have that can affect our future. And that's why we prayed for our year 12 today because I don't want their past to dictate their future. I don't want their knowledge that they presently have to, be limit, to limit them to the experiences that they can have into the future. 
when Kath was in America and had been bitten by the dog, we got over that, we got through that. But about a year ago, this time last year, thereabouts, Kath and I were taking our little dog. Now, our little dog is a little dog. It's not a big, manly, husky dog. It's a little mop dog. It's like a... It, it, it takes me a lot of, you know, swallowing my pride to take our dog for a walk. I mean... <laughs> I love our dog, I do, but as a manly man, taking our little dog for a walk, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> Young guys often drive past, so, <laughs> just like laughing at me. Like, <laughs> it cost me something to walk our dog. And, and I was out walking our dog with Kath one day, and, and I kid you not, of all dogs, a husky ran across the road. It was like stealth, as quick as, before we knew the dog was even there, it had our dog in its mouth. This little fluff ball in its mouth and I found myself grabbing our dog out of its mouth and trying to just fend myself uh, you know, away from this dog and I'm just and I just I, if you'd seen it you would have think I was carrying on I was just making all these loud noises <laughs> my dad said when you go for a walk in summer just make lots of noises so snakes don't attack you so I'm just like ah, just making ah, just making noises I'm just I'm just making noises get away and, and then I just run into the middle of the road in that car stop and I'm ready, I'm open your door, get me in the car. I'm just like trying to, I'm just, like, I'm just, just being, you know, at least that's what I thought I was saying. I think all they saw is a guy going, because they didn't open the door, so it's a bit, a bit strange, but anyway. I looked over to Kath and she froze. She didn't do anything. She certainly wasn't helping me. <laughs> she with the hand, honey. Come on. Kath's like, she, just, she froze. She didn't get involved. She didn't help. She didn't do anything. I had to check if she's still breathing. It's like, she's like a statue. And I think back to why, why did she not get involved? I'll tell you why, because only a couple of years earlier, she'd been bitten by a dog just like that. And in her heart, something had shut off and said, I'm not doing that again. And I feel like there are some of you today that have closed off a section of your heart. Say, so I'm not doing that again. You know, as a church, I, I, do, I, I love our times of worship. I love speaking to believers to encourage you in the Lord and all that stuff. I do. But I know one of our primary goals as a church, one of the reasons we've been left here on planet Earth, is to help a precious, hurting, lost, broken world that are, no, are presently not in church. And, and so a big part of our push is, hey, bring your family, bring your friends. And you hear it every week. But in your heart, you're not going to ask anyone. And I know why. I get it. I get it. Because the last time you asked someone, they said yes. And you waited for them, and they didn't come. And then you thought, okay, maybe it's just a, uh, you know, something happened. Then you ask them again, and they didn't come. And you ask them again, and they didn't come. And someone in your heart said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And when you don't do that anymore, the primary mission of the church, when you don't do that anymore, 
you sit in church and we just start picking what we don't like. Or, or maybe, maybe it was in a position of leadership and, and, and someone burnt you and bit you because you gave some advice because you cared and they didn't receive it. And I'm not doing that again. I get it. I'm not standing up here pointing a finger. I'm with you. I get it. I, I felt those same thoughts. If you don't think I've felt some days, I'm not going to church today. And Cass says, you have to, you're preaching. I'm, oh. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. It's painful. I get it. See, some of you would have said, I'm not cynical, but now we, now we understand what it really is. We think, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I am. Yeah. You see, when you care about people and you get bitten a few times and you've gained some knowledge, the third step to cynicism is that you lose hope. You lose hope for the future. We used to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and say the best is yet to come. And now we say, I think I've had my best days. I gave my best days to this and to that, and now what have I got to show for it? And we live with regret. And for all the younger ones here, I want to say, your best days are ahead of you. And for all the older ones here, I want to say the same to you. Your best days are ahead of you. But if we don't get a hold of our spirit and take responsibility for our spirit, then we may have just had our best days. Because when you live with a cynical, critical, wounded spirit, you lose hope for the future. And what happens, there's a voice inside of our head that says things like this, it's useless. Um, what's the point? It's a waste of time. If I do that, they'll only let me down again. Am I talking to the right people today? No judgment. But what I've learned about me, I know when I'm being cynical when I lose hope. And I found myself in a staff meeting more recently, and I love staff meetings. Staff meetings are a positive environment for us as a church. And we always start all of our major meetings, particularly our staff meetings, with what we call praise reports. One, because it's good theology. Psalm 100 says, come into his presence with thanksgiving. So I say, hey, who's got a praise report? Let's, let's start with a positive, uplifting story of praise. Come on, what's been happening in your life? Bang, bang, bang. And on one occasion, Morgan, who's one of our incredible worship leaders, oversees our music here at church. He said, hey, I ran into so-and-so the other day. I haven't been to church for ages. And they said they're going to come. And I'll tell you when it was. It was when we had Father's Day, Friday, Sunday meets Friday. And Morgan said, he'll be there. And you know what? To my shame, this is, what, this is what the inner voice said to me. He won't come. Next Tuesday comes around, which is the day I catch up with Morgan. I say, hey, Morgan, um, on the weekend, you mentioned so-and-so was going to come. Did he come? And he said, no, he didn't come. And at that moment... I learned something, that being right is not all it's cracked up to be. I was right. He didn't come. And I felt as hollow and as shallow being right. Write this down. Being right is overrated. Being right is not the goal. 
Helping people is. And so I looked at Morgan. I thought, this young guy who's on the up and up in life, ministry, marriage, everything. He's not even a dad yet. He'll be an incredible dad. I need to take something off him. I need to help him. And so I looked him in the eye and said, Morgan, I owe you an apology. He's like, what? What? I said, yeah, you remember when you said so-and-so was going to come? In my heart, I said, he won't. Where did that come from? My knowledge. I have knowledge. A lot of people say things they're not going to do. But I said, why I owe you an apology is because I allowed the knowledge I had to lead to being cynical instead of using the knowledge I had to help you. This is where we've got to redeem knowledge. What I did, I said, I know what's going to happen here. He won't come. And I was right, but I was empty. I said, Morgan, what I should have said to you is what I'm telling you now, and you can still do this. I said, you should, because of my knowledge, I said, look, because of my knowledge, there's a good chance he won't come. But if you'll ring him the day before and offer to pick him up and drive around his house, there's a better chance that he will come. See, we, we, we can't complain about the knowledge we have. We have to redeem the knowledge that we have. How are you going to use the knowledge that you have? Because that's really important. I want the band to come up. Ne- next week, we're going to look at some practical things that we can do, some practical things that I've had to do. Because I'm not an expert in this area, but I have worked hard in this area. We have a young couple who are new to our church. They're in this building today. I've asked them if I could share this. But they came and saw Kath and I recently, having led a church, a smaller church than ours, and haven't been leading anywhere near as long as Kath and I have. And they just said they're really enjoying being here. And they said, I just want to say, what we love about this place is that you don't smell of sacrifice. We know you would have been through some, through some things because we've been in ministry and we know what that means. But you've been able to live above that. And uh, it, it, it blessed me. It spoke to me. But I want you to know, I bleed like you bleed. I feel like you feel. And I've had to work hard at keeping my spirit right. As you'll need to work hard at keeping your spirit right. And there's some practical things that we can do. We'll look at them next week. But all these things that we're going to look at next week still aren't going to help you if it's not on a good foundation. We need a right foundation in order to do what we need to do. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this, May the God of hope, if you want hope, you've got to go to the God who is hope, gives hope and brings hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What I've learned is that some of my worst days, my most cynical days, my most twisted days, my biggest mistake days, When you come to God, he can redeem it, turn it round. And I believe he can do it for you as he's done it for me. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.